Hey, glad to have you guys here. If you haven't been here for a while, we are in a series, we call it Relationship Rehab. Um, parts of this series have just been uh, really some some simple scriptural truths to help you um, with your relationships. If you are married, to help you with your marriage relationship. If you are unmarried, there are principles that are um, very easy to, to apply. As a matter of fact, most of them that I've talked about so far, that they've been general scriptures. They've not been scriptures like, this is only for married people. It's been stuff for everybody. Um, and so if you have been here and you've been hearing some of that, hopefully some of these, these uh, um, I guess some of, the, some of these passages, some of these principles have been helpful. Today, though, we're going to take a little bit of a turn and we're going to focus most of our time on the issue of marriage. We're using a passage of Scripture that, that talks specifically about husbands and, and wives. And so um, hopefully today this will be helpful to you. It is not specifically only for married, because if you are unmarried, if you are single, if you had been married before, or you, you unfortunately you were divorced, or, or maybe you're a person that's never looking to get married, there are some principles in here that are that are applied across, across the board. But anyway, this is the series that we have been doing, and so hopefully this is helpful for you. Again, if this is your first time here. Some, one of the things that, that I always try to say is, is that our, our main goal and everything that we're trying to do is just simply to inspire you to follow Jesus. Um, that is just up front what we hope that, that you take away today. Um, you know, if you, if you have been married, um, one of the things you might remember is a period of time when you are engaged. One of, there's a tradition that we have, at least in America, I don't know how many other countries um, do this, but when you're engaged and you have you have got the invitations out and you're ready to, to you know to to go the date is set people have been invited one of the things that you're supposed to do is you're supposed to go do some sort of a gift registry all right you guys any of you remember that that's where you go to a store and it's sort of like your christmas list when you're a kid when i was a kid i had the, these these catalogs and and we would go and we would circle different pages of toys that we want and then we'd fold the page over and then I would stick it on my mom's pillow on her bed. And it was like so that she knew all the toys that I wanted. And there's probably like, you know, $20,000 of toys that I had circled on that. Well, that's the gift registry for when you're getting married is that you can kind of, hey, these are some things. And it's a tradition. It's like, well, how, how are people going to come and help you with your house or with your home as you're starting to get set up? And so I remember going to the store and picking out things and we're looking at towels and silverware. I mean, it was thrilling uh, for me as a man. Looking through, you know, the plates and all that stuff. And see, for, a wise man would say to his wife or his future, his fiance would say, honey, you pick whatever you like. That's what a wise man would do. Was I a wise man? No. I still remember. I, we, we looked at some plates and I saw these plates and there was some that had a blue pattern. I'm like, oh, I really like those plates how you're going to eat food off of it, okay? And so she picked another set of plates that she liked, and hers were white with a pattern, and I had this blue. And we, in the middle of the store, we had a conversation in the store. And, and I look back at that, I just think it's so funny. There was another time while we were engaged when um, we were talking about one day, if we were to have kids, how would we raise them? How would we discipline them? What would we do? And I, and I was just looking back to my past, right? How did my parents do it with me? So when I was naughty, um, if it wasn't super, super naughty, my mom had a wooden spoon in the kitchen. And that just right on my backside, right? Um, 
And, and if I was more than just a little bit naughty, my dad had his belt. And so I told my wife, I told Shay this. And, um, well, she was, she was like appalled. I told her this was good enough for me. And look, I turned out really good. So why don't we try to plan this with our kids? And she was appalled. It wasn't about the spoon or the spanking issue. It was about the belt because I didn't find out until years later that in her mind, she thought you take a whole belt off and it's like this long. And it was like, right? And she's like, how? That's terrible. And she didn't realize you fold the belt and you go like that. And she's like, oh, that's all that is? And I'm like, yeah. So anyway, this has nothing to do actually with how we did it most of the time. Just just a little thing for, for little, little kids. What we end up doing is we found a really cool tool. If you go to Home Depot, they give you free spanking spoons there in the paint department. Like you, the, the stir things, you know. They're light. They're, you know, whatever. So, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, these are those are like relatively small issues. But the question arises... How do you handle decision making and, and disagreements? Um, how do you handle, how do you work through the communication of things like that? Some of them are simple, maybe, uh, small issues. But for the next few weeks, I, I want to start talking about some of this. We're going to talk about communication in a, in a future week. We're going to talk about conflict. Um, and today, what I want us to talk about is, um, if you're married or if you're going to get married, one of the key things you have to understand is what is the role that God has given you within marriage? He has given us parameters. He said these are the roles that you're meant, that you're meant to carry with you in your relationship. And it's a God-given thing. If you're a Christian, you are meant to be a prophetic voice of what men and women are supposed to be like. We are not simply meant to be mirrors of culture. There are plenty of mirrors in culture all around us. We're meant as the church to be a prophetic voice of what men are supposed to look like, what women are supposed to look like, what a godly family is supposed to look like. This is what God has called us to do. And the Apostle Paul, he's, he's got this famous passage about marriage in Ephesians 5. And if you've got your Bibles, open them to Ephesians 5. We're going to go through... Uh, Chapter uh, five, verse twenty-two to thirty-three. But in this in this famous passage about marriage, uh, there are some people who love it. There are other people who think it should be torn from the Bible. Um, it's provocative. It's dangerous. Um, it, and it takes us back to actually the in, intent and the roles of what God wants us to be or to have in marriage. So I want to talk about that today. But before I do, I want to go to like really a, a verse that's right before because right before. The Apostle Paul writes to the church of Ephesus and says, now let's talk about marriage of husbands and wives. Um, he, he actually speaks to everybody in the church. So he's been talking to everybody in the church and, and he gives a number of things and, and, he, and he speaks really boldly about how to live and the power for, for living. And he says, you know, don't, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled by the Spirit instead. And he talks about some of the results of what that would look like. And in the end of that paragraph... He, he ends with this statement in Ephesians 5.21 and it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this, this word submit, we're going to hang on this for, for a little bit, but submit is really kind of a military term. I was in the Air Force and when we learned about submission. 
And really the idea is there's a ranking structure and what you do is you order yourself under a person who is a different rank or a higher rank than you that's in the military. That doesn't mean anything different about you or the other person if they're a general. You know, all, all, all humanity has equal value, but you have to rank yourself in order for, for things to work out well in the military. Well, submit simply means to arrange yourself under the authority of another person. And, and this passage right here is the final command of this previous paragraph about it, what it looks like if you are a Christian and you are, we would say, filled by the Spirit of God, filled by the Holy Spirit. If you are controlled by the Spirit, it, 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 there's this contrast. Don't be drunk with wine, like that's controlling you but instead be filled with the Spirit. So this is sort of the final thing that's going to happen. If you are filled by the Spirit, what you're going to do is you're going to choose to submit, with a, submit um, to one another. What you're going to do is you're going to say, okay, um, I'm going to consider you first. So he's talking to the whole church. So that would be all of you looking to one another and within whatever context it is, you, um, you basically would say, well, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you first. It's that whole chivalrous thing that we used to have where you'd open the door for other people and say, no, you first. Um, it's, it's that idea, but it's throughout all of life. And so um, in, the, in the church, um, th- there's all kinds of, of illustrations of this. Children are called to submit to their parents. Called to obey your parents, called to submit to your parents. Followers of Christ are, are called to submit to the local um, leadership within a church. So it's called to follow the, the eldership of the church. Citizens. We are citizens of a government. We're called to submit to our governing authorities. Uh, we read in Scripture that angels submit to God. Uh, we even read just the most amazing thing is that Jesus Christ submit himself to the will of the Father. And so this idea of submission, it's, it's not a crazy, strange thing that's only found in one letter. It's, it's all over life and it's all throughout Scripture. And to see, the problem is, is most of us, uh, most people, we really don't like this um, idea of submission. Um, I mean, what could be more enjoyable than me handing control of my life over to somebody else? Nothing more enjoyable than that, right? But, but see, Paul's not calling people to abandon their personal independence um, he says I want you to do this with one another it's all of us that we're supposed to submit to one another in the Lord we're supposed to put each other first treat each other well and the, the concept people have, have tagged it they've said uh, we would just call this mutual, mutual submission it, it means that each person willingly treats one another as higher than themselves I've talked about this over the last you know, month I didn't call it submission because you guys would have run away. But that's what it is. It's when you put other people in front of yourself. That's what you're you're putting them as higher than yourself. Peter, he actually explains this as well. He says this um, maybe a little bit more clearly. He says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So this key to mutual submission is humility. If you're full of pride, you're not going to submit yourselves to one another. You're going to say everybody should submit themselves to me. That, that's the first evidence of being full of pride is that you say, well, other people ought to submit to me, but I don't need to submit to them. No, Scripture says all of us do it to one another. Um, humility. Humility is simply just walking, not wanting to be noticed. It's moving through life 
not wanting to be noticed. You're not about, look at me, look at all the things that I'm doing as I'm doing this and that. Um, it's sort of the anti-Instagram, anti-selfie you know, you know, thing. It's walking without wanting to be noticed. That's, that's humility. And, and it's removing conceit. It's removing selfish ambition from your life, from your attitude. Um, what does the Scripture say? It says, pride will be resisted. I don't know about you. I don't want. I don't want God to resist me. I don't want Him to sit His hand up and be like, "No, sorry, we're resisting you." Um, it says that humility receives grace. Grace is wonderful, and and those who are humble receive grace. God exalts the humble. He says, "This is all part of what I'm going to do in you, but I want you to submit to one another." And so, what humility means is that you ap- approach disagreements. With the attitude of, um, all right, I'm not sure that you're right, but you could be. Man, let me tell you, that's hard to do sometimes. Talking with my wife and we're arguing about something really important. Spatulas, I don't know, you know, the temperature of the oven, I don't know what it is. And, and she could say, no, you're supposed to do this. And, and, and I'm like, no. <laughs> And, and what I'm supposed to do instead is say, well, I don't, I don't know that you're right, but you could be right. I, and I can set my pride aside and set it down. And, and we can just say, well, let, here, let's figure it out. Okay, that's, that's fine. And then no matter who is right, if we check it out, who is right, there's no gloating after that. Like, okay, cool, we found out the, 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 the thing, whatever it was. Um, but, but I'm not sure that you're right, but you could be. And, and see, here's the thing. It's really difficult to get in a fight with another person who's putting you first. It's really hard to get in a fight with somebody who says, no, well, no, you, you go ahead. We'll, 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 go, we'll go with what that is. Um, and, and so if you are a Christian here today, no matter what else, you need to remember that this is a command for you. It's a command for you. That you are commanded to submit yourselves one to another, okay? Everyone within our church is supposed to submit ourselves one to another. Like, what are the needs? You should be asking, what are the needs of our church? I, I, need, to, I need to set other people first. What are the needs of my church? What can I do? What can I do to help? That, that's the attitude. See, that's how you know a healthy church is one that is submitting themselves one to another. Now, right after Paul calls followers of Jesus to submit to one another, he writes about what this looks like within marriage. And he says, now let's talk about marriage. And Ephesians 5.22, he says this, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, I've got to sort of stop the sermon here and I need to make a correction. Um, because years ago, um, I, I had a, I, I, just in studying Greek and for years and years I've looked at this and I thought, I think that they misplaced the period. I thought that they misplaced the period and, it, you know, you see how it says there, it says, let the wives be some, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything, period, right? And so, um, I, I, I looked at it and I thought this was really valid that the period might need to be so that the wives be to their own husbands, period. And then the next sentence would start off, in everything husbands love your wives. Because it's not always the, the, the right thing for a wife to be, hus- to be submissive to her husband in everything if he tells her to sin, you know, that's, you're not supposed to do that. 
And so I thought, well, maybe that's the way. And I, and I searched it, I searched it, and I talked to Greek. I mean, I went to the top, okay? I went as, as high as I could, uh, the best Greek scholar I knew, and he, he wrote a really great letter back to me telling me all the reasons why that can't work. And so I'm letting you know, if you were here years ago when I taught that, I said, this could be the truth. You can just kind of like erase that, say, no, that's not true. It, it, the, the period needs to come after in everything. And the next sentence will start off, husbands. So, so the way that it works in, in here, if you're, if you're interesting, it, it starts by talking about wives, and then there's a paragraph, and then husbands, and then there's a paragraph, and then children, and then there's a paragraph, and then servants, and then there's a paragraph. It's the beginning of all the paragraphs, and that's something that I really didn't see. So take all that and, you know, I don't know where you want to put that. <laughs> But but in this passage, this is the beginning, and this is the one where like oh submission and uh, you know whatever. But but Paul gives us two roles in this passage to summarize how we're supposed to act in marriage, and the two roles we would call it headship and submission. And and I'll just tell you, most people don't understand it. Um, many women they're going to hear this issue of of submission and headship, and there's going to be feelings of resentment um, or or dread. And then there there are men who who hear about this and they think, wow, you know, headship that's something that's going to be really easy to do well. And I would just say that both are mistaken. Um, let me just illustrate with a really kind of a funny story here. Jack Hayford, a, a pastor who lived a while back. Tells a funny story about a married couple who attended a seminar taught by one of those male demagogues who demanded to show that he wanted to show that scripture teaches that the man is in charge at home. And it's the kind of terrible teaching that, on submission that turns women into lowly doormats. Well, the husband loved it. He drank it all in. His wife, however, sat there fuming hour after hour of this stuff. And when they left the meeting that night, the husband felt drunk with power and proudly asked, What did you think about that? Well, she didn't answer. So he talked about how great it was. And when they got home, she quietly followed him inside. And when he shut the door behind them, and, he, and then he said to her, I've been thinking about what that man said tonight, and I want you to know from now on, that's how it's going to be around here. You got it? And he was kind of just pushing her buttons. You know, you got it. This is the way it's going to be around here. After having said that, he didn't see her for two weeks. After two weeks, he could start to see her just a little bit out of one eye. funny part, part of that guy's problem is this who is this written to who is this right here that we just read who is it written to who is the addressee give you a hint it's the first word wives it is addressed to wives wives are commanded to submit to their husbands their own husbands later Husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Nowhere does it say, Husbands, make sure you enforce this on your wives. And it doesn't say anywhere later, Wives, make sure you enforce this on your, your husbands. See, that's the, that's the problem. Is we think, oh, I need to enforce this because I know this is how I want them to, to treat me or whatever. Um, John Mark Comer has a book called Loveology, but he, he wrote this. I thought this was interesting. When we read, or when people read this in today's world, we think the part about wives is scandalous. But in the first century, 
The part about husbands would have been a staggering thing to men in the church. In the Roman Empire in A.D. 60, all you owed your wife was a roof over her head and seed for her children. If you're a husband, you're thinking, now you're telling me I have to actually love her? Put her good above my own? Give my life for her? My time, my money, my freedom, my desires all for her? Nourish her physically? Nourish her spiritually? See, see, this is why the church is meant to be a prophetic voice to culture. See, we don't eat the stuff that culture feeds us for breakfast. We take what Scripture says and see, this is how we live. Then that's what the first century husbands were called to do. Listen to how demanding this passage is for, for husbands here in verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. I guess I don't have to explain that, I don't think. I think you all understand how Christ did that, how he died on the cross. If you want to go into the nitty-gritty details, just read one of the Gospels, right? And he said that, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Now, maybe you notice that so far what we've read about wives and what we've read about husbands is husbands have got twice as much. There's actually twice as much or more scripture than what is written to the wives. Now, why is more written to the husbands? Well, it's because husbands are called to be the servant leaders. God holds you as a husband. If you're a man and you're a husband, you are responsible to lead a healthy marriage. Um, in Genesis 3, it, it may have been Eve who was the first one to take the bite out of the fruit. But do you know who God comes to first? The one who is responsible? He comes out, he cries out, Adam, where are you? Because Adam is now lost. And, and so Adam is the first one to get in trouble. Now, so before we make any conclusions about some of this stuff, I just want to point out really some... We're not going to go into the details today. We're not going to take a look at all the individual trees and everything. I want to do just kind of a, an overview of, of the whole forest today. Um, but, but before you can jump to any conclusions, what this passage does is it gets, it gets, um, it gets control of your assumptions. And it's not going to let you throw in your own content. It's going to, to guide you through this. And the text gives at least two things that can take control of this idea of headship and submission. So uh, the, the very first thing is, is this. It's about headship. And what you see in this text is that the man must never exercise headship to please himself. Must never exercise headship to please himself. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for her. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves, the wife, lo loves his wife loves himself. So the husband must never do anything just to please himself. So men, let me just talk to you for a little bit here. Let's, let's, just, uh, let, let's just get down to what God is telling us. You have to put the needs and, and the desires of your wife ahead of yourself. That's, that's what this means. Um, so 
remember hearing an illustration about, you know, buying a car, husband and wife kind of talking about how this would work out. So the, the wife wants a red car and the husband wants a blue car. So here they are talking. They disagree. So does the does the husband say, honey, remember Ephesians 5.22, I'm the head, therefore it's blue. No, because the wife can say, honey, remember Ephesians 5.25, you're supposed to die for me. This is a bit short of that. Is she right? Yeah, she's right. This is kind of silly, right? Have you ever had a fight over something silly? If Jen is watching this, when you get home, she will remind you. Right? How many of us get over fights and disagreements over little silly things? But see, a husband is meant to use his headship to put her needs first. And not always her desires, but in many times, yes, her desires first. And see, you only overrule when the two of you are working on something and you can't agree and you believe that the, the way that she's going is not going to be what's best for her. It's not going to be what, what's best for your, your family, for your, for your marriage. It's not going to bring glory to God. I, I mean, come on, a blue or a red car? Hey, God designed both colors, all right? So, so when, you, when you look at things, you can make the final call only when you think that what you're doing is you're doing the best thing for the both of you because maybe that decision would actually cause a problem, would cause harm. It's never just to please yourself. And so, yeah, headship does involve sort of a tie-breaking authority. Uh, it, it does involve that in the case of a stalemate. When you've worked on it and you've worked on it and you've worked on it and there's just, it's just a stalemate, okay? But it should never happen for selfish reasons. And, and men, God holds us accountable for, for all the decisions in our family. And, and Jesus' authority over us, all right, His sacrificial death, that is, that is the impetus for all the things that we're supposed to do within our marriages. And see, that's the model of a good husband. So, um, so this, is the, this is the part of the sermon that I don't like. Um, personal examples of failure on my part. Uh, some of you remember that I, I used to have a motorcycle. Um, years ago, uh, after we moved here, that was one of the things. I had motorcycles in the military, and I finally I, I had I, we'd, I'd saved up enough like birthday Christmas money, and I I bought this motorcycle. It was like a 400, and it was just a little a little gutless wonder. And, and so there came time where I was like, she said, "Well, you can look into getting another one." And so I found one. It had been an accident, but I knew I could fix it up. But for, and for us, I think it was like it was like fifteen hundred dollars or something like that. And, and yet, for us, that was a huge amount of money. It, it really was a huge amount of money. And it wasn't so much that I would be riding a motorcycle or it would be dangerous or anything like that, but it was just very expensive, and it wasn't something that, that we spent so much money on and that then the whole family could enjoy. And so I'm, in my own logic, I'm logicking things out. Oh, I can give the kids rides. I can give us rides. It'll be really romantic. Um, when I'm riding by myself, I can think. I can pray while I'm riding. Okay, I can memorize Bible verses and things like that while I'm writing. And um, the truth was, the bottom issue was um, that I wanted it. Okay? And I'd saved up a bunch of money, but it really was also going to take a chunk out of our stuff. And so she said, okay, 
All right, well, I'm going to submit to you and I'm going to pray for you. Pray what? I don't know. The truth was, I probably was being a little bit selfish. And she even told me, this is crazy, she even told me that if I had wanted a boat, she would be able to understand that because then all of us could get in the boat. And now I'm wondering, well, maybe God's telling me I should get a boat. <laughs> now, now, see, listen, the husband's authority is never meant to be used just to please himself. But to serve God, to serve the interests of his wife, to serve the interests of his, his family. Headship doesn't mean that the husband makes all the decisions. Headship doesn't mean that the husband gets his way all the time. And every disagreement that he gets his way doesn't mean that at all. It only means when you've reached a stalemate at that time. And what is the thing that's going to glorify God the most? And when you think that this one actually would be wrong or would be harmful, would be hurtful. And, and why do we know this? Because Jesus never did anything to please himself. He's our example, men. So if you really want to be over your wife, what you need is a ladder so that you can climb up and you can crawl upon a cross and you can lay down your, your, your life. That's, that's what it looks like. Now, ladies, could you respect and could you submit to a husband who was always interested in serving your highest good? Do you think you could do that? Some of you are afraid I'm not going to shake my head in here because you'll see. He'll see that. So, so when it comes to decision-making or stalemate, each person, what they're doing is they're trying to give the other person their pleasure in honoring God in the middle of it. The wife's going to try to respect the husband's leadership and the husband is going to try to please his wife. Let's see, when this happens, this whole overruling thing, that becomes a very rare thing. It happens sometimes. It, it does. Um, Martin Luther has a great quote. He said this. He said, uh, let the wife make the husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to ever see him leave. That's the attitude behind everything that we ought to do. I was thinking about that. Does this always fit in our society today? Because, you know, sometimes, you know, she's the one that goes out and he's working or whatever it is. But but still, there's an attitude behind this. Well, let me go on to the second um, interesting thing about our, our text. Sort of an overviewing principle. Uh, there are almost no cultural details that are given. Did you notice this? He talks about um, headship. He talks about submission. There's almost no cultural detail, details within it. It just simply says, wives, let your husbands be the head. Husbands, love your wives. He doesn't get details about how that's supposed to work or what it looks like in marriage. He just gives you the principle. He gives you the overlying, this is the understanding. You work out the details for your marriage. For your family. Now, why doesn't he say, well, this person controls the checkbook. This is the person who cooks. This is the person who works. And this is the person who doesn't. And this is the person, this is how this is supposed to be laid out. And the reason why is because the Bible gives you a general principle for all times, all places, all cultures, all centuries. This is a big difference between what you, when you read Scripture and, and maybe when you read some things that are written in the Quran. That, that it's, it's very specific and it's, it's trapped in culture. It's trapped in a time there. Scripture is not trapped here. It, says it gives you the, the principle where you now work out the details. It gives every couple freedom within their marriage. But you've got to work it out. You have to work it out based on your personalities. 
based on uh, the season of life that you're in, based on if you have children, if you don't, or maybe your children are or older. You've got to work this out based on your skill sets and your temperament and on all the society around you and, and everything. How, you've got to figure this out. And, and this, is the, this is the really cool thing, I think, about this whole deal. Um, in marriage, both the husband and the wife take on the role of Jesus as a gift to one another. This is sort of the outworking of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. See, what you see is the husband is supposed to take on the role of Jesus as the head of the church. It says Jesus is the head of the church. The church is meant to submit to Jesus. So this is, that's the picture. But, but the wife is taking on the role of Jesus as submissive to the Father. Um, 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I want you to know the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and, and the head of Christ is God. So in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, within the Trinity, the Son is ontologically equal with the Father. The Son and, and the Father, they are equal. The Father would never be the Father without the Son. The Son could never be the Son without the Father. The Spirit and the Son, they're, they're equal. The Spirit and the Father, they are all equal. All right? So ontologically, they're equal together. But the Son is economically subordinate to the Father. He's placed Himself below. He's subordinated Himself to the Father. He's willingly submissive to the Father. You and I are made in the image of God. Husbands and wives, men and women, co-equal, equal dignity, equal gifts, equal value. But the roles are different. Within, within marriage, a Christian marriage, your roles are different. Husbands and, wife have, husbands and wives have to learn how to submit to their roles. I, I know many men who would be happy to, to back away from the role of leadership and all of its consequences if they could. One person that I know of who's very famous who, who backed away from his leadership, um, he was the first man to ever live. Whereas Adam just said, okay, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll just follow you. You know, um, Kathy Keller in, in uh, the book, The Meaning of Marriage, that Tim and Kathy wrote together, um, she says this, I think she's speaking to, to the ladies. She says, taking authority properly as ju- is just as difficult as you granting authority over yourself. It's just as hard to take authority properly. And so let me talk to you ladies for a little bit. If you have a problem with this idea of submission, I've just got to ask you a, a question. And I'm just speaking to you as, as Christian sisters here, okay? Um, if it was not an assault on Jesus' deity and his value for him to take on the role of being subordinate to the Father, of submissing, submitting himself to the Father in providing salvation then how can it be an assault on the value of the wife to take on the role of being submissive in, in her marriage with her husband? Um, Philippians 2, it says that Jesus emptied himself and he was submissive to the Father in providing salvation for us. What an amazing thing that through his submission, he provides that for us. Now, I, I know what, what you're probably thinking, or some of you are thinking, or if you didn't think it, now you're going to think it. It's one thing for Jesus to be submissive to a perfect and and loving Heavenly Father. It's another thing for me to be submissive to a flawed and sinful man. Um, I understand that. And so there's a question. If my husband is controlling and singing against God, am I supposed to submit to that? 
Well, what do you think? No. Is that the loving thing to do, to submit to somebody who wants to have their own way with sin? No. That's not love. That's just getting out of it. So, so if your husband is sinning against God, you don't submit to that. You're supposed to oppose sin. And, and, and if he's abusive, call the police. But not because you're angry, you want to get back to him, because you love him, because you care for him. You want to help him. So, so you, you don't submit to, to sinfulness. All right? You, you, you oppose sin. And see, this is, this is why the Scriptures are careful to say that the husband is to take on the role of this servant leader. If you want to be the head of the family, you've got to lead. You've got to be a servant. You're serving your, your spouse. You're serving your wife. You're going to be serving your kids. Um, men, we get our headship from Jesus. If you're a husband, your headship is from Jesus. Therefore, you've got to follow the one who gave it to you. You don't get to be an independent guy that's doing headship on his own. You're following Jesus. And see, Jesus used it to wash his disciples' feet. If you asked your wife if you could wash your, her feet, what do you think she would say? I just made that up just on the fly, just now. Wasn't that good? Go home and try that. I don't know. Man, we're meant to be servant leaders who work to help our brides grow, giving glory to God. And, and, and here's the thing. When, when wives, when Christian women, when they understand this as wives and, and they don't submit, and when husbands, when, when they're Christians and they don't lovingly lead, you know, what, you know what we're doing? We're rebelling against Jesus. It's, it's like you're singing a song. I don't want to be like Jesus. When you're not submitting, when you're not lovingly leading as a head, I don't care, he forgave my sin. Or it's like that other song. You know that song that was, um, Ryan, you, Ryan, I'm calling it Ryan now. <laughs> it's all about you. That's the name of the song, isn't it? Yeah. It's all about Ryan. That's what you're singing. And you, when you're not doing this in marriage, you're singing, it's all about me. And I don't want to be like Jesus. Because Jesus lovingly led. Jesus was willingly submissive to the Father. And you say, I'm not going to be like Jesus. See, the reason Scripture gives us for the roles of marriage, it's, it's to emulate the relationship of God and the Trinity. That's, that's, what it, that's what He says. He says it in the text. We'll see it in a second. We don't know why Jesus was um, the one who was submissive to the Father, the one who emptied Himself. We don't know why. But what we do know in Philippians 2, uh, 8 and 9, is it says it was a mark of His greatness. Jesus' submission is a mark of His greatness. Jesus' leadership is a mark of His greatness. Well, Paul concludes the passage. He says, For we are members of his body, his flesh and of his bones. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And then he says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He's giving us that picture. And then he says, Nevertheless, summarizing this whole thing, Let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her Husband, let me just try to summarize what 
biblical headship and biblical submission looks like here in, in verse 33. Basically, it says it's about being respected and protected. That, that's the way that it looks. So verse 33 says this, when, when wives submit to their husbands, what that looks like from a husband's per perspective is that she's respecting and she, she's honoring him, but what it feels like is love. feels like she loves, she loves me. When, when Shay respects and when she honors me and she shows that, it feels like she loves me. And, and when a husband loves their wives like Christ loved the church, what it feels like from a wife's experience is it feels like I'm being protected. I'm being protected. See, this, this is what it comes down to, is, is respected and protected. This is, this is what, how we fill our roles. I want her to feel protected by how much I am loving her. And she should say, I want him to feel respected by the way that I'm loving and I'm submitting to him. That, that's the way, this is how it all works. But in the end, it's meant to point you back to who? To point you back to Jesus. Because he's the one that laid this whole thing out for us. He's the one that empowers us to do it. How are you doing? Those of you who are married, how are you doing with this? This is what I want you to do. After you leave here today, talk about this. How are we doing with our marriage with this whole thing? If you're a husband, don't, don't just say, the way that I love you, do you feel protected? If you're a wife, you go back to your husband and say, hey, do you, do you feel loved? Do you feel respected by the way that we do things? How can we improve? How can we grow? Have a conversation about this. That's, that's the best thing you can do afterwards. Well, anyway, let, let's close this in prayer today and then we'll head on out. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just, I just pray, for, uh, pray for all of us. We as the church, we're, we're not called to just be a mirror of society. We're called to be a prophetic voice in listening to what you tell us, how our relationships ought to be. And so I pray for, for all the, the husbands represented in this room that they would be growing and learning how to lay down their lives daily for their wives, not just one day theoretically, but to do it in, in just giving up maybe some of those things and saying, I, I want to love you. I want to show you love through this. And I pray for all the wives in this room too that, that they would learn how to, to do this whole thing of submission to not have it be like resentfulness but, but to, to show honor and respect. And I pray that the, the two would come together and have a, just have an exemplary marriage that would be a message about who Jesus Christ is to the world around us. Lord, I pray for those who are unmarried here today. Some um, happily single, some wish that they were married, whatever the circumstances, I pray that they would take this and they would, they would set it aside in their minds and they would understand that, first of all, we're all called to submit to one another. But secondly, we've got roles to fulfill and they're all meant to honor Jesus. So Lord, thank you for what you've shown us today. Thank you for your goodness, your kindness to us, especially on the cross and the resurrection. And we look forward to one day when you come again to claim us as your own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks, Grace Point. Good to see you. Have a great day. Hope to see you again next week.